You know, as Christians, we probably can quote the command of Jesus to go and make disciples. But chances are very few of us know what that really means or how to go about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today on the Mission Life Podcast. As we fall in love with Christ, I think the Spirit of God intuitively places in us this desire to pass on what we've gained. Hey friends, welcome to the Mission Life Podcast. I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time with us, then you should know that this podcast is produced every other Thursday and show notes are found at my website, jeffreams.com. Check out previous episodes on that website or iTunes as well. This podcast features stories of people putting their faith into action. I serve Dunwoody Baptist Church as missions pastor in Dunwoody, Georgia. That basically means I oversee our global and our community outreach. Now in that role, I get to meet amazing people doing amazing things literally around the world. Their stories and what they have learned can be a great encouragement, but also teach us a few things about following Jesus. I am thrilled to bring you an interview today with a friend and mentor of mine, Ed Waken. Ed lives in Phoenix, Arizona, where he is a father, a husband, a pastor, and a church planter. Ed shares the gospel more naturally than anyone I have ever met. So when I thought about the topic of disciple-making, Ed quickly came to mind. As a follower of Jesus, I really do want to see Jesus change more lives, but I often wonder what's keeping me from sharing the gospel? What is, what's hindering me and so many other believers from helping people follow Christ? In this episode, you'll hear Ed talk about what disciple-making is, why most Christians don't do it, how to start and what churches need to do differently to become disciple-making churches. That's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Well, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Alan Hirsch, has quoted, uh, coined a word, uh, putting discipleship and evangelism together, and he calls it discipleism. And I think both of them go hand in hand uh, because there's no beginning or end when you start you're discipling someone who's not a Christian as soon as you start praying for them about coming to know Jesus. You're discipling them. So disciple-making you know, is really uh, nudging people, pointing people in the direction of becoming like Christ, uh, helping them to surrender their life as completely as is possible for anyone uh, to really want to uh, see Christ formed in them. It's a very... Uh, uh, it can be a long, I think it's like a, taking a long walk in the same direction with someone. Uh, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen in a series. Uh, it happens life on life. Um, I think a lot of churches try to make disciples through their sermons or preaching or Bible studies or small groups, but sermons don't make disciples. Uh, they inspire people to think about things, but they don't make disciples. A guy up front or a gal up front preaching to 10 or 10,000 isn't discipling. They're just giving inspirational ideas and truth. And small groups don't make disciples. Uh, they can encourage people to see how life is made lived differently and to maybe have a little more intimacy with relationships, but small groups don't make disciples. The only thing that makes disciples are disciples. You have to, it, it takes one-on-one, one-on-two, uh, it's got to be in small groups of people 
to to really be making disciples. And we see Jesus practice this, where he really spent a limited time with the masses, uh, a little more time with the 500, a little more time with the 120, the 70, the 12, and then the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, where he really invested most of his time. Uh, and so disciple-making is nudging people to be more like Jesus, uh, Galatians 4.19, uh, to being in pains with people to see Christ formed in them. Um, and just pointing to Jesus and saying, be more like him. So preaching and small groups don't make disciples. Some people may take issue with that, especially members of church staffs who are in charge of developing these discipleship programs in an effort to help people grow, grow spiritually, become more like Christ. Churches work hard to develop programs to help people grow. So if small groups and preaching don't make disciples, what does? So uh, a lot of, you know, attending meetings is, I think, I encourage it. Uh, I think it's important. I think the scriptures uh, would encourage us to be together often. But uh, it has to go deeper than meetings. There has to be a transparency which the american culture doesn't like there has to be an authenticity which we've learned to ignore uh, there has to be a vulnerability uh, with a few not maybe with masses but with a few where i can talk about my my foibles my sins i can hear the sins of others and i know i'm not going to be judged but encouraged to move forward um, you know, it's really amazing to me that I can worship with one eye and lust with the other in a church service. It's just amazing to me that I can do that. Uh, who's going to hold me accountable to that if I don't tell somebody? I hear I'm putting it on a podcast, but I think every man would agree that that's, that's true. But who do we – and nobody's going to kick me out for that or of anything. They're going to probably feel like, wow, that sounds like me. But we have to get rid of this veil of my life is perfect and I'm only going to show you what I want you to see with a few. And that then drives us back to our knees to say, Jesus, I'm in need of you. And that's where discipleship has to end is seeing Christ formed in people. And Paul says it's like labor pains. Hmm. So most people aren't feeling uh, all the women that are hearing me can identify with that more, much more than I can. But we are not feeling the pain of labor pains of seeing Christ formed in hardly anybody. We don't even take that. We don't even want to go where that is because that's so hard. So I think Paul's telling us that making disciples, seeing Christ fully surrender, people fully surrender to Christ, I think he's telling us it is difficult. It is hard. It's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. I mean, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 4, he says, you know, everybody's deserted me. Demas. Demas is talked about in two or three other epistles, yet Demas even deserted him. So this, when you pour into people, uh, it's painful. I think Paul was in a lot of pain. First uh, Corinthians 1, Paul talks about being in some emotional trauma, almost sounding like he was depressed uh, over the people in Corinth. So it's this this getting heart to heart with people so that we can urge them forward to see Christ formed in them. And that is uncomfortable for most cultures, certainly for our American culture. It's very uncomfortable, but needs to happen. And I think it's developed around 
in small groups of people, two or three, you know, being in the Word, we've got to let the Word really penetrate and saturate our hearts. Uh, there has to be an authenticity of, of listening and confessing sins to one another. It's a command. James 5 is a command that we confess our sins one to another so that we would be healed. And I think it's much more than physical healing. It's not for salvation. It's not to our sins to be forgiven. Christ took care of that. But we're commanded to confess our sins one to another. Most Christians would never think about doing that. So in the word saturated, having deep relationships with people so we can be authentic, and then together, uh, as we link arms, pursuing people that aren't yet Christians and helping disciple them into coming to Christ, and that starts the chain reaction all over again. Those three elements have to be, uh, however they're lived out, they have to be done. Saturation of the word together, authenticity, and a focus outward being missional, being apostolic, seeing being sent into the world. I will never forget a phrase that a friend of mine mentioned one time, and it stuck in my mind. We were talking about this issue of going and making disciples. And he said, you know, no one will go and make disciples until they engage in spiritually reproductive behavior, until they do those things that lead to making disciples. So why should we? Why should we engage in behaviors that lead to making disciples? How do you get motivated? Our challenge is not knowing what to do, but being motivated to do it. Uh, the way I would say it is they had to fall back in love with Christ. I mean, it really is that simplistically profound. <laughs> uh, if without love, no matter what we try to do, it's, it's a gong, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's just a, it's just a noise. It's a clanging cymbal. Uh, we we have to continually uh, uh, kindle that relationship, just like we do. I do with my wife. I you know I need to uh, think about her. I need to remind myself of her qualities. I need to uh, tell her how beautiful she is. I need to romance her. I need to keep that relationship fresh. And there's times when it's not, and then you know when it's not, and you have to work at. At, at, at fertilizing, adding fertilizer or cultivating the soil. And so when our lives are dry, and they all get that way, it's just part of who we are. But we've got to fertilize and cultivate it. And when we're in a relationship with a few that's that deep, they, they sense your dryness. They sense you're your, your a little more um, uh, edgy. You're a little more uh, angry. You're a little more, uh, you know, uncontrolled and they they sense it in you and then they can start pointing you back to hey man what's going on and how do we help and and when you're humble like you can be nudged back into really pursuing Christ and developing that relationship so if, without that love for Jesus without being desperate i mean we have to realize how desperate we are for him and if you're not there then beg god to help you be desperate but if there's not a desperateness for God, then you're, you're going to continue on life with you in control. And that's not going to end well. It's certainly not going to end fruitful. Even if it ends comfortably, it won't end fruitfully. And I think we, and we really need to remind people, too, that there is this idea of the, the beam of seat judgment where we are going to be recompensed, rewarded for our deeds, good and evil. Uh, there is going to be rewards. And I want I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, well, you, you're in because you put your trust in Jesus, but there's not many rewards. It's all getting burned up because it was all for you. Uh, and I think 
we don't talk about that enough. I think that's part of discipleship is important to help people to live live like that for Jesus. Now, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I get it. I hear you. But really, disciple-making is one of those things that seems optional, right? I mean, we trust Jesus to save us, and we're drawn to his teachings on love and forgiveness. But when it comes to some things, like sharing the gospel or helping people follow Jesus, well, we treat that as optional. Why is that? Well, I think it, it seems, I think because we look at making disciples as, um, as somebody else's job, I think we've been inadvertently taught that. I, I think we think that's the church's job. And in one sense, that's true. It is the church's job. But then I need to remind you that you are the church. So it is your job to do that. But I think we mean it's the staff's job. It's the disciple pastor's job. It's uh, or we've reduced it to having to be trained to walk people through a set of curriculum, um, which is good. But it, but again, knowledge itself does not make a disciple. Uh, it has to be. How do we do things? How do we? When Jesus called the disciples to himself, he said, "Come to be with me." So there's that relational piece of intimacy that needs to happen. And I want to, at the same time, send you out to preach and make disciples. They had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know how to cast out demons. They never, they, but then they saw Jesus do it. And then we don't have uh, written evidence of it, but most likely he walked them through how to do it and watched them do it and helped correct them on what they're doing. And finally he showed them how to do it. So I think most people, though, are, well, I think also because we tie discipleship in Matthew 28 with baptism and in most churches it's changing now but in most churches only pastors or clergy baptize and then we tie it to teaching them to obey everything i command you because those are the two aspects jesus said baptize and teach them to obey and so those things are usually left to clergy or to leaders so we think that's not my job and i think pastors need to do a better job at at showing them no this is for everybody because uh let me tell you why it is for everybody jesus said go make disciples and he said, baptize and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So what's the last thing he just commanded them to do? To go and make disciples. So what is he to teach everybody? Everybody's to go and make disciples. So it's everybody's responsibility to make disciples. And so when we, when we say it's not my responsibility, we're actually uh, disobeying Jesus. And we, we need to be about this task of, of helping people become more like Christ, seeing Christ formed in them. So we were at a, at a men's getaway a few weeks ago and this one guy came up to the cabin in the, of, of Ari- the mountains of Arizona, and he wasn't a, a believer. And um, uh, with, without with making the story very short, uh, through a bunch of series of conversations, I mean, it wasn't a retreat. It wasn't intended to be formalized or with an agenda of any kind of study or prayer or anything, but through conversations with all these guys that love Christ, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, he said, you know, I've got, and he started naming his brothers and his cousins and, and friends that he grew up with high school. He said, these people need to know this. I want to tell them this. And now he's in a house church and he's inviting these people to come. And so it's automatic. It's something that happens automatic. Uh, as we fall in love with Christ, I think the Spirit of God intuitively uh places in us this desire to pass on what we've gained. Uh, 
we have received life, we want to give life away. I think over time, we need to kindle that afresh. Uh, the book of Revelation says, Jesus says, you know, uh, repent from where you've fallen, remember your first love, and then do those deeds again. We have to keep getting back to what it was like when we first came to know Christ. We have to fall in love with him over and over again, just like our, our spouses or significant people in our lives. And when you fall in love with them, I mean, you just can't stop talking about them. So this guy that just came to Jesus immediately knew he's supposed to be pointing other people to Christ. He doesn't know anything else. But that's it's a, it was intuitive, and I think it is in each of us. If we just fall back in love with Christ, we're going to want to do what he's always told us to do because it's something, it's like spirit, it's spiritual breathing. It's spiritual reproduction. I mean, Jesus says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And we've not had a trouble fulfilling that physically. In fact, we, we think it's a good idea. But he also meant that spiritually. So the command is there. We know Jesus said, go and make disciples. So maybe we're asking ourselves, how do I get started? How do I begin? What are some of my first steps? Yeah, so number one would be get desperate. Uh, beg God to give you that desperate heart and, and, and cultivate your own soul uh, to become that way. Simultaneous is asking God, who in my life is also desperate? Or is, is or you know is ready to become desperate? And then join with that person. Become friends with them. Invite them to say, hey, let's pray together. Let's read scripture together. Let's, there's this idea of confessing our sins to each other. What's that about? Let's study it. Uh, uh, there's things that I use called life transformation groups, and you can just Google search life transformation groups, and you'll find all kinds of information. Uh, I, that's a tool that I use because it hits everything, and it's simple and reproducible. But there's other good ways of doing the same thing. But you, you've got to start by being desperate, finding other desperate people, and then meeting together regularly centered around the word, uh, the one another's, and confession, and and purpose of of let's let's reach out to bring others in and so for us we get into if our group grows to four then we multiply into two groups of two and then it can start over again there's no rule no no make no have to but um it seems to be a natural thing reproduction is natural and we we should want our children to move out on their own uh, and be sustaining on themselves and having their own children and spiritually we should be releasing people uh sooner than later, really, so they can go out and reproduce. It's, it, that is natural. And it really comes to light with me. I have, I have three children. My oldest and youngest are married, uh, have their own careers, uh, they have children, uh, and they're just you know supporting themselves and doing a beautiful job. I'm very proud of Jared and Bethany. But our middle daughter, Rachel, is mentally handicapped with the mind of about a three-year-old, and she will always live with us. Well, that's not normal. It's, and, and it adds more uh, uh, challenges to my wife and I will never be empty nesters. Uh, there's things we have to do to care for her because of her, her physical and mental limitations. Uh, and, but that's how I see most Christians. They never want to get out of the nest to go make disciples. They always want to be cared for. I mean, Rachel's at, at this podcast is 34 years old. She looks like she's 18 because she doesn't have a care in the world. I mean, there's just no stress in her life whatsoever. Um, but we need to see people that uh, that's just not normal, and uh, it drains on the people that have to give the care all the time. So we, we need to take responsibility and do what Jesus told us to do to go and you're actually capable of doing this. So what I tell Christians uh, 
I want them to know that it's in there. Everything you need, every Christian from the moment you're saved, everything you need to make disciples already in you. It's Church should not be about cramming more into a Christian. It should be about coaxing what's already in there out. That changes everything. So let me just give you some scriptures on that. Uh, John 14, 12, Jesus said, if anyone believes in me. Okay. So first of all, so let's just stop there. Whatever is after that, this applies to anyone who believes in him. For all ages, at any time, anyone who believes in him. Now, what does he say? Anyone who believes in me, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall I do because I go to the Father. Ah. So we say, well, that's only for the 12 disciples. No, theologian, read it again. If anyone, everyone who believes in me, it's not limited to the 12, uh, you'll be able to do greater works than Jesus did. He, so number one, he believes that about you. Number two, Roman, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 says, you've been, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So Ed's paraphrase, the storehouse of God is wide open to you. Come in and take whatever you need. It's yours. All you got to do is come in and take it. It's in Christ and Christ is in you. So come in and take what you need to be effective in your whole life. Second uh, Peter 1, 3 says, you've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. What are you lacking? You've been given everything. You have every spiritual blessing. You can do greater works than Jesus. Everything pertaining to life and being like God, it's in there. It's already in you. And then Philippians 2.13 says God is, I think it's a New Living Translation says it this way, God is always at work in you. So never a time when he's not at work. He's given you two things. One, the desire to obey him and the ability, the power to do it. So what's lacking? Obedience. God, the will and to work for his good pleasure. You've been given the desire. You've been given the ability. You just need to go do it. So every Christian from the moment they're saved has everything they need to be effective to make disciples. We have just been told, no, sit down, listen. You don't know enough. You don't have enough. And we need to remember Jesus sent people out way before they were ready. So that's uh, important that we should practice what Jesus did and send people out before they're ready because that's what Jesus did. So when he called the disciples, and I think I mentioned this earlier, he said, be with me so I can send you out to be a parking lot attendant and to, to hand out bulletins. No, not that those are unimportant things, but those certainly don't take much courage, much experience, or much training to do. Jesus said, uh, spend time with me, and I'm going to send you out to preach. Most people never preach. And to cast out demons, and most people don't even want to deal with that. But he said to rookies, do this before they're able. Uh, to, in Mark 5, to the garrison demoniac, the guy just came to Jesus maybe an hour, maybe two hours, very limited time. And, and if you remember that at the end of the, so this guy was messed up in every way, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, psychologically, he was all messed up. Jesus heals him and the town comes out to see what happened. They want Jesus to get out. And so the man says, hey, these guys are really angry at you and at me. And I want to go be with you, Jesus. Disciple me, basically, is what he's saying. And Jesus, being the great disciple maker that he was, he said, no, don't be with me. You think, what? What kind of a leader is this? He said, I want you to go back and tell them what I've done for you and how I've had mercy on you. And in verse 20 of Mark 5, it says, everyone marveled in those 10 cities. So Jesus always was sending people out before they're ready. The woman at the well, 
after he said, you know, you've got more husbands than you can count, she went back and said, could this be the Messiah? He let her go back and be the proclaimer, the evangelizer uh, for the whole city. And then they came out and believed in Jesus. So over and over and over again, Jesus is always sending people out before they're ready. And I think we need to teach people this idea that Jesus is enough for you. When will Jesus be enough? When will we trust that he can really form himself in people with or without us? Uh, He wants it done in community, but he wants to use people immediately. And when we start teaching people that, I think it really uh, enhances their spiritual life, their spiritual dependence on Christ, and they, they can actually see that I can do this instead of thinking, oh, I don't know enough. I don't. I've not gone to seminary. I'm not going to Bible college. I've not gone to Sunday school. I, I don't. I've not read the Bible. I can't. I'm just. I just need to sit and listen, and then they end up becoming atrophied, and and um, they don't make disciples that way. But I think Jesus wants us to send people out before they're ready, make mistakes, come back and learn. That's how we've. That's how you learn math. That's how you learn spelling. That's how you learn sports. That's how you learn relationships. You, you have to do things that you don't, you've never done before and make mistakes, and we need to do it spiritually. Now, you know, what I don't mean to say is there's no room for knowledge development, uh, educa- spiritual education. Uh, we, in fact, read more of the Word. Listen to sermons and podcasts. Fill your mind with Scripture. Uh, become approved workmen. Uh, but, but it's got to be given out, not just soaked in. We have to create margins in our lives. Uh, we've got to create space so we can spend time with people. And the only way you'll know what you, and that means you have to eliminate, either you have to eliminate something because your plate's probably full, or you got to ask Jesus to give you a platter. Uh, one of the two, but there's no easy way about it. So it's either more's coming, or you got to take something off of the plate so that you can actually spend an hour or two every week with the same guys. And, and not just for... Uh, drinks or uh, barbecue or sporting events and all those things or playing games together those are important aspects but there's also got to be this spiritual element Uh, there's got to be a set aside time and so you got to create the margins in your lives people with young families i know people that meet at 10 o'clock at night because that's their kids are all in bed they've spent an hour with their with their spouse and now they they 10 to 11 one day a week Mm -hmm. some guys do it between 4 30 and 5 30 in the morning because it's before work but when are we desperate? If we're desperate, we'll do whatever it takes. You get up early to study if you're in school. Uh, you get up uh, early to mow the yard before the heat comes or so you can watch the game. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that we get creative. We find creative ways to make our children's sporting events and practices, but we easily uh, relieve ourselves of the responsibility of making time to be with other believers to see Christ formed in them. It's just amazing to me how creative parents can be to make all the practices and games, but won't make won't be that creative. And how do I meet with this person? And so we're really saying my life's too important, and Jesus doesn't understand me enough. Uh, to, he wouldn't ask me to make disciples if he were here today, and I think that's not true. He would because yeah. he believes in you that much. It's in there. You know, churches tend to be led by pastors and teachers, and we can't reproduce enough professionals and great speakers to reach the nations. So that's our challenge. How will we reach the nations? What is our strategy 
to make disciples of all nations just as Jesus commanded us. So I asked Ed, what adjustments should traditional churches make to move toward becoming disciple-making churches? Well, the first uh, thing I tell anybody, it may sound like a broken record, but you've got to really check where your heart is with Christ and are you desperate. I mean, that just has to be something I regularly, I'm, I'm asking Jesus, what do you have against me? I mean, that's what he says in Revelation 2, but you've done all these great things, but this I have against you. So is there anything Jesus has for me to work on? Uh, not that he's going to rail at me, but he, what does he want me to adjust? Uh, so am I in love with him? Am I desperate for him? That's number one. And then if, if there is, then, then if, you're, if you're active like teaching a Sunday school or a small group, you know, I'm amazed at how many leaders at that level that I ask, well, tell me about the last time you had somebody in your group over for dinner. And, well, that's not the purpose of the group. Uh, uh, I don't do that. Or they talk about church friends versus friends. I think this becomes dangerous ground when we start uh, categorizing these type of things. So the second thing I'd say is just start hanging out with some people outside of the formalized spiritual times. Just become deep-spirited friends, I think the message, the way the message translates one verse there. Um, I think that's vitally important. And then uh, start doing a non-planned spiritual things together, letting the Spirit lead, like pray together. I mean, People, unless they're in a Bible study, they usually don't pray together. We're going bowling tonight. We don't pray. Well, let's pray. Hey, God, when we're bowling, help us to see an issue that we can deal with together as a community. What does it look like? I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it'll be an accident you'll see. Maybe somebody will have a medical emergency, or maybe they just need help bowling. You know, it doesn't have to be something major. I don't know. Maybe somebody says, hey, come have a drink with us. Maybe you don't drink alcohol. Just go have a Coke with them and just talk with them. Look, ask Jesus to open your eyes to what's going on. Uh, so I think developing a, a true community beyond the formalities is something that most churches lack, and I see it. I see it across the nation where it lacks. And then beyond that, it's then how do I? Uh, who who would God lead me to be investing some time in? to see Christ formed in them. And, and that can look so many different ways, but it does center around the word, the, you know, the, the two great commandments in the Great Commission, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the word, love your neighbor as yourself, the one and others, and go and make disciples. Uh, there's gotta be a mission that we have to see other people invited in. How do we make that happen? So desperate, really have uh, deep-spirited friend relationships, and then intentionally spending time with one or two outside of the Sunday school or, or small group where you are really wrestling with life together, uh, where you can be honest and say, you know, I really don't like my wife this week. You know, I've really got trouble with anger at work this week. I'm really mad that my boss isn't recognizing how what I'm contributing. Uh, you know, my relative really messed me over on this, uh, uh, the death of our uncle. Uh, whatever the issues are, how do we move through these things? together and so move away from i say move away from formality to informality which sounds really weird to conventional or traditional church folks but i think there needs to be a sense of that so that life it's not we're not robotics we're we're, we're really living beings that 
that need care and have pain, and we need to be listened to and listen to others deeply. It usually doesn't happen even in a small group. There's a, there's a curriculum to be accomplished, and we got to stop meeting on April 29th because summer's coming, and, uh, and, and it's not life. It's, it's, a, it's another program, and churches become programs and not it, churches become more educational facilities than family centers. That's it for this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you share it with someone you know? Maybe post it on your Facebook page or send the link of jeffreams.com slash 08 for episode 08 to a friend to encourage them in becoming a disciple maker. Send them the link from iTunes. You can text it. Get together and discuss what you learned from Ed. Ed is a practitioner. To connect with Ed and learn more from him, follow him on Twitter at Ed Waken or visit his website, his blog at edwaken.blogspot.com. I sure do appreciate you listening, my friend, to this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. Check back in in two weeks as we talk to more practitioners about ways we can more effectively live life on mission for Jesus. 